Yeah, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Central for week three of our series, Rhythm. And today I want to talk about resistance. Week number one, Pastor Mike talked about routines. Last week, Corey talked about rest. Today I want to talk about resistance. Let me begin by saying this. My body resists heights. My body resists heights. Now, that dislike of heights manifests itself as fear, but I wouldn't say that I'm afraid. My heart beats when I see a drop. My breaths shorten, and I start instinctively to panic. My body does not like heights, but I wouldn't say I'm afraid of them. Five years ago, Vipka and I decided to take a 25th anniversary trip to Switzerland, went to the part of Switzerland where we went on honeymoon, and uh, there's one part there that we truly love, and it's in the Swiss Alps, and um, you can take a cable car up, and when you're up on the top of that thing, you can do lots of different activities, you can walk, and, and they've got this bridge that's made of glass underneath. There's a reason Vipka's on the end and I'm taking the photo. Because <laughs> when I walk on that bridge, my body does what it does. My heart beats, my breath shortens, and my mind starts to play tricks on me. Now, in this moment, I've learned that if I truly want to experience the beauty of God's creation, and I love the mountains. Any of you love the mountains? I just love the water and the mountains. And when I'm at the, the mountains and uh, the water, I basically experience the, 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 the majesty of God through nature that I don't get anywhere else. And so I, I just love just looking down on all of creation. But the problem is my body doesn't like heights. And so in this moment, the way I describe it is, the way I work through this is the way I used to parent my toddlers. Any of you got toddlers out there? Right? You, they get to that phase where the world is just wonderful, right? And if you're parenting your toddler, you've got this indescribable bond to your child in that age because you know if you don't stick and they don't stick to you, they're gone. And so what kind of happens is you see a toddler, and sometimes you'll just follow their eyes, and you just know what they're going to do. And you're looking at them going, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't think that. It's kind of like that for me in heights, okay? I, I look, at the, look at the height, and then all of a sudden my heart beats, my breath shortens, and my brain starts to go, ooh, and I start to talked to my body like I talked to my toddler. I'm like, Craig, you do realize this is Swiss construction, right? <laughs> the Swiss know how to build things. This is not going to go down. This is totally safe. Breathe, boy, breathe. I talk to myself that way, and when I talk to myself that way, I can basically walk out. I make sure they look straight, not down, but I can, I can walk out that way. My body doesn't like heights, 
but I wouldn't say that I'm afraid. I've just recognized that my body has a natural resistance to heights, that if I want to experience the beauty of creation, I have to resist what my body resists. When it comes to heights, then, I have to tell my body no. No. Steve Jobs once said, innovation is saying no to 1,000 things. Every creative knows that true creativity ultimately operates in the context of constraints. The, the Bible doesn't put it like Jobs does, but one of my favorite scriptures, one of my life scriptures, Proverbs 29:18, says this, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who keeps the law. All too often we quote the first part of the verse, not the second part of the verse, but in Proverbs, the both of them go together. This is put in the negative. When you don't have a revelation, a revelation from God, you run around completely and utterly free. But when you have received that revelation from God, what you do is you restrain yourself. To be driven by a vision of God for your life requires you to exercise restraint. In the first week of the series, Pastor Mike shared our heart for us all for 2023. It's that we would have this, an experience this year of God in a way that would be so fresh that we would deepen our encounter with God through His Word and in prayer. Last week, Pastor Corey talked to us about the rhythm of rest. It's rather ironic to me that our vocation as Christ followers requires rest, but our career requires us to race. The word vocation comes from the Latin word that means calling. The word career comes from the French word that means racetrack. <laughs> so basically, we have a choice if we want to exercise rest which God says is a key part of experiencing the vitality of our relationship with Him. We have a choice. We will either pursue our career and race around and continue to do all the things that we've tried to do before, or we will restrain ourselves in order to fulfill our vocational calling, which requires rest. Your career requires you to race. Your vocation requires you to rest. The only way that you can rest is to restrain the urge to race. If we're truly going to deepen our walk with Christ this year, if we're truly going to experience rest, then we have to resist what comes natural to us. I wonder how many of you having heard last week's message, went around thinking, you know what, I'm looking at my calendar. I've got no time in death to practice any kind of Sabbath at all. I really need to rest. Now, how many of you would ultimately say that you are afraid of rest? Probably no one. But the reality is the rhythms that you put your body through basically do not support the rhythm of rest. 
And when you're in a situation where what you know from God's Word that is good for you, you are not doing, like me talking to myself on a glass bridge, so you are having a conversation with yourself. It's not that you're afraid of rest. It's not that you're afraid of what God wants for you. It's the fact that the rhythm of your body doesn't line up to the rhythm of God's Word, and you recognize that if you continue to do what you've always done in 2023, then the reality is that you are resisting what God has for you. And the only solution to that is for you to resist your resistance. Here's the problem with this. It is so instinctive for us to succumb to what comes naturally. When I walk out on that glass bridge, my body does its thing. My heart beats, my breath shortens, my mind goes. How hard is it for me to give in to that resistance? Not hard at all. I need to do absolutely nothing to give in to what my body is saying. And here's the reality. While it's instinctive to succumb to what comes naturally, it isn't always best. Some of us have got default operating procedures in the way that we respond to things that have been built up maybe through painful experiences, Maybe because it's the way that you were wired. Maybe it's the, the context in which you were born into, the family that you grew into. There are so many uh, variations to this, but each and every one of us have got default operating or response procedures, and it takes us no effort at all to give into this. It is so natural to give into what our body feels is natural. But the Bible says that's not always best. The Bible says that that's not always good. The Bible says that, hey, if you find yourself resisting something that God says is actually good for you, then the right response is to resist your resistance, not to give in to it. For my 40th birthday, Vipka thought it would be a really good idea to get me a skydive. She knows I don't like heights. She thought it would be a really good idea for me to skydive. And so she basically, I opened the card, and in there was, you know, this, this thing, you're going to do a skydive with Solly, and uh, this is a gift for your 40th birthday. And, and Solly was uh, a man in our church in Tampa. And for 18 months, every weekend, without fail, Solly would come to me and say, are you ready for that jump? <laughs> oh, sorry, Solly, I'm really busy at this point. I'll try and get it in as soon as I can. 18 months. And eventually, I was kind of uh, the subject of an intervention, really, by Vipka and Solly. And they're like, you're going to do this thing. So we arranged to do it. I've shown some of you the video before. And I'm on the plane. And, and uh, I get, you know, so I'm strapped to Solly. And I, I get to the edge of the plane. And on the video, you can see me look down. And I throw my head straight back up. Because as soon as I saw the ground from 15,000 feet, my heart my breath, and my head was like, <gasps> now, Solly was with me, and I knew it was irrational. 
Now, some of you are thinking, Craig, okay, walking across a glass bridge, that's pretty irrational. But a skydive, okay, there's a greater risk to that. It's irrational. You know why it's irrational? Solly is a South African man who came to America on a Sporting One visa. A Sporting One visa is basically the type of visas that are restricted to top-level NBA, overseas NBA, NHL type players. Solly was the gold medalist at the World Skydiving Championship. Solly revolutionized skydiving in the way that Dick Fosbury revolutionized the high jump. You know, they used to, I'm not going to do that, I'll probably have a groin strain here. You know, they used to go over the high jump with a, with a little scissor kick, and then Fosbury came along, and he actually did that Fosbury flop. Solly revolutionized skydiving in the way that Fosbury revolutionized the high jump. How many of you have ever seen those mass skydiving jumps where hundreds and hundreds of people jump out of a plane? You ever seen those? It, chances are that Solly organized those and was right in the middle of them because he's done most of them. Solly trains national skydiving teams. Solly knew what he was doing. My fear was irrational because Solly was with me. But it didn't make it any easier. So I jumped out of the plane. That's Solly's sense of humor for you. <laughs> At this point, we've kind of not even, I think, reached terminal velocity. Okay, we're still going down, and it's like in the first few seconds of this, it is just terrible. Because I get on the edge of the plane, I sit, I lift my head up, and Solly goes, here we go. And I just close my eyes, and he's like, hey. And then, basically, we get to the point of terminal velocity, which basically means it doesn't feel like you're falling. And in this moment, I can start to talk to myself. Okay, Craig, you realize this is irrational, right? And then the fear goes. And in that moment, the joy is there. The joy. Basically, Scripture says that if we truly push past those things that our body kind of has to keep us weighed down, to drag us down, to keep us back, if we push through those things, we can experience the joy and the freedom that will ultimately have been worth all of the effort. The spiritual discipline of resistance. You see, resisting resistance is a pathway to freedom, and it is a critical discipline for deepening our experience of Christ. Let me ask you, what is holding you down? What is holding you back? What is dragging you down? What is weighing you down? The most natural thing in the world is for you to succumb to it, to give in to it, because it takes absolutely no effort at all to succumb to those things that you resist. But you deepen 
your experience of Christ, you deepen your relationships with other people. You find freedom when you resist those things that your body resists. And right now, you are either resisting or you are resisting your resistance. The Bible puts it like this in Romans chapter 12. Do not, the Apostle Paul says, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. You see, today you are either resisting God's will, or you are resisting the natural fleshly resistance to God's will. You are either conforming or you are being transformed. We're being formed one way or the other right now. Our relationship with God is dynamic. Our relationship with this world is dynamic. And your formation is either a con, which basically comes from the Latin prefix, which means to be swept along with, your formation is either a con because you are being formed by being swept along with the natural resistance in the flesh to do God's will, or your formation is trans, which comes from the Latin prefix, which means to rise above. You're either rising above those things that weigh you down, that drag you down, that hold you back, or you are being swept along by the desires of your flesh and by the patterns of this world. What type of formation is true for you at this point? Is it a con? Is it all a lie? You think it helps you to walk away from that unforgiveness, but all it's done is dampen your energy, kill your joy, and destroy your relationships. You think it is actually helping you when you read God's Word, and God's Word says about the value of generosity, and your body resists being generous. You think that it is the best thing in the world to resist generosity because it's too hard, and there's the natural resistance, and you think it's the best thing in the world to ultimately hold on to your finances and not to be generous. In reality, it's all a con, it's all a lie. All it means is we're being swept away by the desires of the flesh and by the patterns of the world. What God says we need to do is we need to rise above. In Colossians 3, Paul puts it like this. Since then you have been, what? Raised with Christ. You understand the significance of being raised with Christ when you recognize the power of being weighed down, dragged down, and kept down. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do you know the power of the gospel basically means that all of those things that tie you down, that weigh you down, that drag you down, don't have to keep you down. 
Do you know that's the power of the gospel? That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. Why is that possible? Because your life is now hidden with God in Christ. You've been raised. What this basically means is that while my body does not like heights, I miss out on an awful lot, scripturally speaking, when I do not allow myself to be raised to the heights. You know, the Bible says that I would miss out on Jesus if I didn't rise to the heights because John 3:31 and 8:33 tell me that my Savior comes from above. I would miss out on my salvation because Psalm 18 and six, uh, verse 16 tells me that my salvation comes from above. I would miss out on new life because John 3 verse 3 tells me that new life, being born again, comes from above. I would miss out on wisdom because James 3.15 and James 3.17 tells me that wisdom comes from above. I would miss out on God's power because John 19 verse 11 tells me that this power of God doesn't come from below. It actually comes from above. The reality is for me in a very practical way. I resist my resistance to heights because God wants me to rise. And when I break free of that which holds me down, I experience the power of God in a profoundly new way. Friends, God wants you to rise in this life, not just in the next. He wants you to rise above what keeps you down, holds you down, and drags you down. He wants you to rise above it. In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah is being used by God to encourage a group of people who feel that the natural flow of things means that they will never get beyond their painful existence. In verses 7 and 8 of that chapter, we read of the frailty of human nature when the prophet writes, as grass withers and flowers fall, so do we. The human nature, the prophet says, is frail and vulnerable. But at the end of the chapter, God reminds the people that while falling is natural for the human race, rising is supernatural for those in, in Him. This is what we read at the end of this in Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Now, remember the context. The, the context here is for people who feel that there is no hope, that what holds them down, keeps them down, brings them down, is always going to do that. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been battling a life-controlling hurt, habit, hang-up. Maybe there is something that you've never been able to shake, and you're thinking, can God? This word is for you. God says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And this is the part we all love. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will, what? Soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
If you're here and you feel weighed down, bogged down, dragged down, and you feel that there is no hope for you to ascend, you reckon without the power of God who will strengthen those weak legs and will enable you to rise on wings like eagles. You see, God's power overcomes the downward pull of the flesh and even the downward pull of the world. Now, I love the metaphor here of the eagle's wings. See, when an eagle is attacked, what it does is the eagle ascends to new heights. The eagle overcomes its oppressors by flying higher and higher and higher. The eagle overcomes the attacks propelled not by its mighty wings on its own, but by the wind's currents. You may be here today and you may feel down. I want to tell you, God wants to lift you up. And the way that this works is not simply through your own strength. The faith that we have is is a covenant. That basically means that we are to play our part and God plays his part. And as I was thinking about how do I illustrate this today, I I was given the the picture of a kite. Now, a kite rises according to the aerodynamic forces of lift and drag. A kite stays in the air because it manages to balance lift, drag, weight, and thrust. It manages to balance them. And what I want you to know today is that God, God's plan for you, God's heart for you this year is for you to rise on heights to overcome those things that weigh you down. In order for you to rise like that, you're going to need to overcome those things that drag you down. In order for you to rise, you are going to need to avail yourselves of God's power that gives you the ability to propel you to even greater heights. If you are ever going to be free of those things that weigh you down, then the Bible says that you need to rise above them. And whenever we give in to those things that drag us down, they sap our energy, it kills our joy, it destroys our relationship, and it does us no good at all. Doctors will point out that physical conditions happen in the human body when we allow those things that are not good for us to continue to plague us. When we allow our fears and our failures... When we allow those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups to continue to press on us, and when we continue to repress them and push them away rather than deal with them, we end up paying a price that is far more costly than a walk over a glass bridge. Think about it like this. How many of us know if we do not pay our mortgage this month, 
The price we will eventually pay is far greater than the original amount we would have paid. If we don't make the payment on our mortgage this month, things get far worse for us in the long run. So with, with this is a, a picture. God wants us to, to rise above those things that weigh us down, that keep us down, that drag us down. What lessons do we learn from this kite that can help us make sure that we practice that spiritual discipline of resistance this year? What do we learn? Well, I think the obvious thing we learn is to welcome the headwind. That's just going to seem weird, but it's actually pretty simple. For a kite to harness the power of lift, it has to be perpendicular to the wind. For a kite to be impacted by the forces of drag, it is going to position itself parallel to the wind. In, in other words, Winston Churchill was right when he said, kites rise through the headwind, not against it. Kites rise because of headwind. If we are going to be successful in overcoming those things that weigh us down, that drag us down, that bring us down, then we have to position ourselves in such a way that the opposition lifts us up rather than drags us down. Kites rise against the wind, not with it. I mean, I wonder how many of us, when it comes to those things that we battle for so long, think that this thing is being allowed because there's something wrong with us. Now, sometimes that's true. But it is always true that God allows opposition for us to experience freedom so that we can shake off what weighs us down, what brings us down, what keeps us down, and ultimately ascend to the heights. That is always true. Yet how many of us think that precisely because we are facing opposition, something is wrong? Maybe you're facing opposition because something is right. You are in Christ, and Christ has promised to make you more like Him through the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're experiencing this headwind, not because there's something wrong, but because everything is right. More than that, maybe, rather than telling yourself or praying, God, I just pray that this year would be so smooth, would be so flat, would be so good that I would experience no opposition. Maybe what we need to be saying is, Father, I recognize that Jesus made a promise. In this world, we will have trouble. We will have headwinds. So, Father, I pray that this year, 2023, would be a year where I would ascend to new heights in you. And so, Father, I pray that you would always position me perpendicular to the opposition that I face. <laughs> Rather than stand at it side on, help me face it head on. Because when I face the headwinds head on, I position myself perpendicular to the wind, and what happens then, the strength that you have given me through the Holy Spirit and your power will propel me to new heights. Welcome the headwind, because kites rise because of it. 
It's disastrous. If any of you try to let a kite go on a windy day and you launch it, what, on a windy day in the direction of the wind, but then you pull it. You pull it against the headwind. Why? Because against the wind, it climbs. Paul knew this. And this is Peter, rather. Peter knew this. I love this. Peter writes to, uh, in First Peter, to believers all across Asia Minor who were experiencing a lot of headwind. It was really difficult to be a follower of Jesus at that point. But I want you to know what he says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to, what? To test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Stop there. Rejoice. How on earth do you rejoice when there's headwind? By recognizing that this headwind is going to take me higher and higher and higher. By recognizing that even though I am prone to thinking that suffering and power ultimately two separate things. The reality is in Christ, suffering and power always go hand in hand. Many of us think when we are suffering that we have to wait for God's power. It's as if they are uh, basically follow one after the other. I suffer first, then God's power will come. No, if you understand this analogy of the kite, suffering and power are synchronous. They happen at the same time. Lift and drag. It is not possible to have one without the other. Faith and doubt. It is not possible to have one without the other. Suffering and power, when you're in Christ, both of them work together. How can we rejoice in the headwind? By recognizing that this wind is going to be used by God to take me higher. So we position ourselves to believe it. Look at what he continues. If you... Uh, um, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Listen, if we want to rise above those things that drag us down, we need to welcome the headwind. We need to position ourselves to face this headwind straight on, not walk away from it, not give in to it, not push it away, but ultimately stare it straight in the face. And then what we need to do is we need to surrender ourselves to the work of God. And when that happens, God will take us higher. Now, there's something else that happens. As soon as we position ourselves in that way and we start to face this, this thing that is holding us down, I believe that there is a, in that moment, uh, there is an internal battle. There is a wrestle that goes on. Just like it was with me when I'm in the plane looking down or when I'm on the bridge, immediately my body does what it does. My heart beats, my breath shortens, my mind races, and in this moment, I have a decision to make. The decision that we all face is to choose faith. Choose faith. How many of you have ever taught your kids to, to fly a kite? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? It's, it's really interesting when you teach your kids to, to kind of fly a kite. You kind of got it up here, right? And it's all pretty good. And sometimes the wind's swirling a little bit. And so the kite will be bobbing. And then what happens, though, is the moment you try and give the, the control to your kid, right, that's where this thing 
That's where this thing suddenly starts to, to bob around, right? It's the exchange of control. The minute we decide to say, you know what, I am going to resist those things that are resistant to God's will and God's word, we are signaling a commitment to exchange control. We are refusing to allow our body, okay? You see what happens too when it's not constructed properly, right? We are refusing to allow our feelings or our flesh to determine our future. We are making a decision to allow God and God's Word to drive our future. And I'm telling you, the moment you do that is the minute where the wobble comes. It's like me walking on a glass bridge. It's like me sitting on the edge of that plane. And in that moment on the inside, your heart goes, your breath shortens, your mind races, and it's one of the most powerless feelings in the world. The minute you face that issue dead in the face and say, I no longer allow my fleshly resistance to drive my response to this, but I exercise my faith in God, and I choose from this moment forward to live in God's way. Expect a wobble. It's natural, because whenever you exchange control, there's the wobble. I love the way that Paul puts this. This scripture I'm going to put on the screen comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what I want you to note is how Paul encourages the believers to choose faith even though. Even though their emotions are racing, their mind is racing, their heart is beating, everything seems to be wrong. Note that Paul doesn't say that this feeling isn't real. He doesn't say repress these feelings, push them down. He says, stare them straight in the face and choose faith. We've heard an awful lot about faith over fear over the last couple of years. Some of that is justified. Some of it is completely uh, out of context. But I tell you, for every single person who wants to rise above those things that are holding them down, we are to face the wobble with faith. Because whenever we exchange control, there's a wobble. Have a look at this text. This is what Paul says. For while we are in this tent, this earthly body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. You understand what he's saying here, right? For as long as we live in this body, in this world, facing this headwind, this opposition, there will be things coming against us that we would rather not have. And in that moment, we want to speed up this process, and we just want to get there. We just want it to be done. God just, you, you've got the power. How many of us pray, pray this? God, you've got the power. Remove this thing from me. Paul prayed it. 
in this very book, Corinthians, he prayed it. God, I've got this thorn in the flesh. Now, was it a person or was it a physical ailment? We don't know. But he said, God, I've got, I've got this, this problem. And you know that this problem is really debilitating and it's stopping me from fulfilling my vocation, my calling. So God, please, three times he prayed this prayer, three separate occasions over the period of his ministry, he said, God, I want you to take this thing from me, and I know you can do it now. And he waits, and he waits, and nothing. How many of you have had that experience? Nothing. And then God speaks to him, Paul, do you not realize that my grace is sufficient for you, but more importantly, what my power is made perfect in weakness? Paul, don't you realize that power and suffering actually are experienced hand in hand. Same time. Not one after the other, but the same time. So we want what is mortal to maybe swallowed up by life. We, do, we just want things to be new. And then Paul goes on. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, is God who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. See, there's hope. Even in the wobble, even in the crisis, even when things are going chaotic, there is hope. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by what? Faith, not by sight. Listen, if you want to overcome what's holding you down, pressing you down, tying you down, you've got to stare it straight in the face, acknowledge it for what it is, time to Stop running away from it, repressing it, giving it the right to rule. But I tell you this, the minute you stare in the face and you choose Christ is the minute that the wobble comes. Because you are exchanging power from your flesh, from this world, into Christ. Expect the wobble. But realize what? You have been given the Spirit of God as a guarantee. In other words, God's got you. Just like Solly was strapped to me, I wasn't going to go down. God's got you. It may wobble. Some of your wobbles may be worse than others, but guess what? He's got you. Expect a wobble and start to talk to yourself. Craig, this is completely irrational. Why are you giving this feeling so much control? Don't you realize that God's got you? And if God's got you, God's got this. So what do you do? You don't strive. Remember the sermon I gave on treading water? You don't strive. You don't struggle. What do you do? You just enter that surrender pose. And you just recognize that the best thing that you can do to stay afloat is nothing but depend on Jesus. So, welcome to Headwind. Choose faith. And lastly, this one is really important. Practice personal patience. Practice personal patience. As I've said, getting a kite airborne in a windy day isn't easy. It actually seems counterintuitive. You release the thing in the direction of the wind, and then you tug it. And as you tug it, you are patient as you get it up in the air. You practice patience. It takes both skill and patience to fly a kite on a windy day, but the secret is balance. 
For the kite to cruise, all the forces of torque acting on it have to be balanced. It takes skill, but it also takes patience. Remember what we said, it is second nature to, to succumb to what comes naturally. And, what, and because what comes naturally is often unhealthy, but it's all we've ever known, sometimes we may find ourselves succumbing, even though we've made a decision to choose faith and to follow God. We, may, we find ourselves succumbing to that which was once natural to us. Here's what's important. When that happens... Show yourself the same kind of love and forgiveness as God shows you. I wonder how many of you have been dealing with issues for so long and you find yourself relapsing. You find yourself going back to that place that you never thought you'd ever go back to. If you've ever experienced that, what the enemy will do is heap shame and guilt on you and tell you that you will never, ever be free. But I want to tell you this. In that moment, you know what God wants you to do? God wants you to acknowledge what was wrong. And he wants you to experience his love and his forgiveness. And then he wants you to practice the same kind of compassion and love he shows you to yourself. He wants you to be patient with yourself. What I love about this verse on the screen, Romans 8.25, is that this is one of the verses that when it talks about patience, it actually is talking about you being patient with yourself. All too often when it's patience, we think about that extra grace-required person, right? The annoying person. Thank the Lord the holiday season's done because they've gone home, that type of person. And we need to be patient with them. Often patience is something we show other people. Often kindness is something we show other people. Often compassion is something we show other people. But you know what? In order to show something biblically, you have to experience it personally. So Paul here says, but if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Wish I had time to dig into the meaning of the words wait and patience. Patiently here talks about, pictures a soldier on a battlefield, surrounded. The situation looks desperate, but he is positive because he knows he'll win in the end. It's a positive term. Wait actually signifies desperation. Think about this. Urgent need with desperation. You put those two things together, that often is expressed in a kind of calamitous way where everything is going to go wrong. This verse says, look, when you're in a situation which is so desperate, you may find yourself so weak and helpless. You may find yourself reverting back to that standard operating procedure that you used to have in that moment. Be patient with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Now, I'm not asking you uh, to think of yourself more highly than you ought. All I'm asking you to do is to love yourself the way that God loves you. Love what God loves. Loathe what God loathes. God never loathes you. And you have no right to put that shame on yourself either. The great thing with trying to overcome those things that have weighed us down is that 
we can experience God's patience and God's kindness and God's compassion and God's forgiveness over and over and over again. So if God shows you that kind of patience, won't you be willing to show yourself that patience? You can see the team are here. They're going to sing a song. This song focuses on Christ. And in my own life, uh, what I've noticed is that when God has revealed to me something that is holding me down, weighing me down, pulling me down, I often think about what I need. So maybe you're here today and, and you are angry because someone hurt you. You are bitter. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart and you just think, God, I need to forgive them. Maybe you're here today and you just recognize you're not living a generous life. Greed is more a part of you than you want. You're thinking, God, I need to be generous. Whatever it is, whenever we recognize that we need to deal with something, often we picture what goes along with it. And, and this is the point. If we substitute greed with generosity, anger with love, unforgiveness with forgiveness, all we are doing is thinking about the very thing that weighs us down. If you're here and you're battling with greed, and now the focus of your life is suddenly going to be on generosity. Every time you think of generosity, you know what's happening subconsciously? <laughs> you're thinking about your greed. God, this is really important because I don't want to live like that. Do you know what the solution to this is? Do you know what the antidote to greed is? Do you know what the antidote to anger is? Do you know what the antidote to unforgiveness is? Do you know what the antidote to, uh, to hatred and bitterness? Do you know what the antidote to impatience is? Jesus. Jesus. As we sing this song, whatever it is that God may have revealed to you that is holding you down, don't think of the opposite. Think of Jesus. Because you see, when you think of Jesus, you recognize that he who was rich became poor for your sake. When you think of Jesus and you think about that hatred and that unforgiveness you have in your heart, you look at Jesus, you look at the cross, and you just come face to face with a person who loves you and forgives you over and over again. Everything we need is Jesus. So as we sing this song, Christ be magnified, our prayer is that Christ would be magnified in you. Because when he is, resistance becomes so much easier. So listen, face the headwind. Choose faith. And show yourself the same kindness and compassion that God in Christ shows you. Look to Jesus and reach new heights. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I thank you for the cross, for Christ, for grace, and for love. Father, I thank you that we're in a time of year where we do look back and we try and look forward and, and we try and put into place those little things. And for some of us, they're big changes that we want to make to our life. 
I thank you for a calendar that allows us to, to do that. Father, I pray that there would be a move of your spirit where we would resist those things in our lives that resist your will and your word. But Father, may we not do it in our own strength. May we do this by magnifying Christ above all things. We thank you that the solution to all we need is found in Christ and the cross and the power of the gospel. May we choose that message over and over again as we face our trials. In Jesus' name.